0: I'm going to set the scene for the whole week, but let me, let me read this passage and then pray for us. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. The word of the Lord. Amen. Heal us, Emmanuel, here we are. We long to feel thy touch. Deep, wounded souls to thee we fly. O oh, Savior, hear our cry. Amen. Okay. Um, Typically, for our Go to the Bluegrass conference, um, I speak on the front end and back end to kind of set the scene for the conference and then wrap up the conference, but typically we do that um, the Sunday before and after, Um, but because Dr. Doriani was unable to be here until uh, tomorrow, um, I'm going to give the first talk tonight, which will be kind of setting the scene, and then he is going to preach on Sunday, uh, which will be... Wonderful. And, and what I do every year, I've done this every year, is I've just asked the question of why we're throwing a conference on this. So why a conference on with? Us with God, God with us. Um, now, in one sense, we don't need this conference because Christians already know its importance. If you're a Christian here, then you know you're supposed to be praying, You know you're supposed to be reading your Bibles. You know you're supposed to be in church. You know you're supposed to be living in community and on and on. We can go with these disciplines. That's kind of Christianity 101. But if it is so basic, then why are we terrible at it? What's interesting about this topic is that every Christian recognizes it's important. And we struggle still to actually do it. And I include myself in it. I appreciate what Will had to say about my devotion to the Lord and to being with God and um, I think I have a proclivity to be harder on myself than I should be and, and brothers like Will and, and the rest of our team are, are very good at encouraging me. Um, but I want to include myself in this as a struggle. Okay, um, every. Every sermon is preached preached beneath the cloud of the preacher's own hypocrisy. Uh, I'm up here because I believe God has called me to be up here, not because I embody what I'm going to say. Um, To preach is to be hypocritical. And if a preacher doesn't feel that tension, then they shouldn't be a preacher. Um, And I bring that up tonight in particular uh, because... I, I, think, I think this issue, this theme this year, and I said a lot of this last year when we talked about neighbor love um, with Russ Whitfield, um, I think this conference feels the same, that this issue in particular is a conference theme that I personally need. That's not false, humble hyperbole. I really, really struggle with this area in particular. I sympathize with what Sam had to say about young kids and how do you be with god and and he said, "I don't know, tired and um trying to fit it in kind of thing and I totally sympathize. I remember uh you college students and um and and, and young adults I, I remember the days of retreating and prayer walks and man i just I just really had all this space to do it and and now I look at my life, I look at um, the demands I look at Um, the kids and the family, and I appreciate Will saying that even with my children, even with my wife, is a means to be with God. He's right. We're going to talk about some of these unique ways to be with God. But um, I, your preacher, your pastor, one of your pastors, really struggles um, to create intentional space to do this well. I I pray. I read my Bible. Um, I obviously go to church and live in community and all that stuff, but the intentional Thorough, thoughtful devotion, prioritization in my life to be with God is a constant struggle for me. And um, my wife would attest to that if you don't believe me. Um, We talk about this often, both in our lives. And I'm making the assumption up front that many of you can relate to to where I am. So I'm going first and saying I struggle with this. And I'm saying that so vulnerably because I think many of you could say, yeah, I do too. So I need this conference as much as any, but I believe there are many who do. Why? Why do we struggle so much with this? Well, there are many reasons, and there are a lot of these reasons we're going to be getting into in the next few days. But I um, I think one of the main reasons is a misunderstanding of these practices of the Christian faith. One of the most important ways to cultivate... A devotion to be with God, a devotion to the Christian practices is for us to reimagine the Christian practices according to their uniqueness. There is something unique about the disciplines of the Christian faith, and it's within their uniqueness that we discover their significance. And when we grasp their significance, then we will pursue them with the devotion they deserve and so that's how I want to set the scene for the entire conference tonight religious practices are obviously not exclusive to the Christian faith Islam has them Mormonism has them Judaism has them Buddhism Hinduism every religion that has ever been conceived has religious practices some of them are very similar to ours And yet there is something different about Christian practices that makes all the difference in the world. And it's this uniqueness that speaks to the theme of our conference. Let me state it up front and then I'm going to spend the rest of our time with this passage exploring it. Here's the difference. Religious practices of conventional religions are a means to get to God. Religious practices of Christianity are a means to be with God. And that distinction makes all the difference in the world. Us with God, God with us. This is why we practice the disciplines of our faith. But the problem is that so often we go about our practices as though Christianity is just another religion. And because of this, the practices become burdensome, perhaps even detested in your life. We need to reimagine Christian devotion according to its uniqueness. And I want to turn to this passage in Mark 2 for that. Jesus himself, it's a really cool passage, because Jesus himself is going to tell us the purpose of the Christian disciplines of faith. He speaks of fasting, obviously, which is a common religious practice of nearly every religion. And what I want to do is use his view of fasting to introduce the theme of the entire conference. And I'm going to do it um, with the passage in two ways. I'm going to let Jesus here redefine Christian practices, and then I'm going to reapply them to our lives according to that redefinition. So, redefine and then reapply. That will make sense. All right, let's redefine the way we come at these things that we're going to be discussing this week. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, notice that discipleship is at the forefront here. They say, why do the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Speaking language of discipleship. Now, discipleship is just a fancy way of talking about religious training. Someone teaches you a system to follow that will fix, supposedly fix, this deep seated problem that all humanity knows is there. That's religion in its most Basic form, which means that fundamentally religions are forms of discipleship. And every form of discipleship employs disciple ends, disciplines, same root there. These disciplines give structure to the discipleship. That is to say, our religion is enacted through a system of disciplines, prayer, um, Uh, uh, go through the list for other religions. Meditation, reading, pilgrimages in some religions, uh, certainly giving of alms and so forth, and a common one that transcends almost every religion is the discipline of fasting. And that is what is being singled out in the text. Fasting was paramount to Jewish discipleship. It was so important that it kind of became known as the practice that separated the nominal from the devout. Most people were Jewish, but the true Jews were the ones who followed the fasting rituals. And the disciples of Jesus aren't fasting. So they bring this accusation to Jesus. Why don't your disciples fast? Or the question beneath the question, why doesn't your religion involve fasting? Well, Jesus answers them. And his answer reveals that he views fasting and by extension religious practices In a completely different way than they view it and every other religion views it. Verse 19. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, with, with, our theme, with, with. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now what he does here is not discredit fasting. He redefines fasting. According to Jesus, the big question to ask when it comes to religious practices is the question, why? Why are you fasting? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you go to church? Why do you participate in community, in a parish group, in a neighborhood group? The answer to the why question changes everything. Within every other ...form of religious discipleship, the, the disciplines are the tools to gain something. They are means of self-betterment and self-salvation. Meaning they are means to both improve yourself, make yourself better... ...and prove yourself, commend yourself to God. They, they serve as benchmarks to prove devotion to a system which then in turn, of course, ends in a reward, a, an eternal heavenly reward of some kind. So if you're devout enough to do these things, well, then that system promises a better you and in the end, a heavenly reward. So the practices of every other religion are practices of self-betterment and self-salvation. They turn you into a better person and they reward you with, they reward your devotion in the end. That is absolutely not how Jesus views fasting. Look again at his answer in verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, what is he talking about there? This, time, this is speaking to the time of engagement in Jewish tradition. And it was marked by fasting. They fasted before the wedding. Now, why did they do that? Uh, did they fast to prove that they were worthy of marriage? Was it passing a test or something like that? No. That's not the point of it. Fasting was used as an aid of preparation. The physical self-denial would stir up expectations and longings for the coming marriage and the coming feast. It assisted love. It deepened longing. It developed anticipation for another. And then the day of the wedding initiated a new season, not of fasting, but of feasting. And Jesus is saying, that's how I view the disciplines. That's how I view fasting. He says, I'm the bridegroom. I'm here. Why would his disciples fast when they have the point of fasting? When they have him? Here's what he's saying. The purpose of fasting is Jesus. In his mind, there is literally no use for fasting and, by extension, other religious disciplines... If you have Jesus with you, the implication, of course, is that fasting only exists as a means to Jesus. And by implication, the same is true for the other disciplines. Jesus redefines discipleship, redefining religious practices so that they take on an entirely new purpose. And Jesus is that purpose. With Jesus is that purpose. The reason why Christian practices are so different than other religious practices is because Christianity is so different than other religions. Christianity assumes your fundamental need is not self-betterment or self-salvation. Your fundamental need is Jesus. Therefore, Christian discipleship is not about adherence to a process, but apprehending a person. Like every religion, the disciplines facilitate the purpose of discipleship. But unlike every other religion, the purpose of discipleship, according to Jesus, is Jesus. Therefore, our practices are not to get a reward, but to be with our reward that we already have. Thus, our theme is not get. It's with. Isn't it interesting... Christ's invitation into his discipleship, into his religion, is come follow me. Come be with me. Not follow my systems, my teachings, my ways, my practices, my religion. Me. Christian discipleship is growth in Christ because Christian discipleship views Christ as our fundamental need. Remember, religions are trying to fix that. Deep, fundamental problem. Well, what if you can't fix the problem? If you're visiting our conference just intrigued by what these Christians think, this is what we think. You can't fix the problem. What if it's so bad that no system will work? No religion will work. What if you don't need a system? You need a Savior. Well, that is how Jesus views things. He didn't come to improve you. He came to save you. So within the discipleship of Jesus, the practices take on a different shape. They look the same, but they take on a completely different meaning. They are not means of self-salvation. self-salvation. They are means for more Jesus. Because that is what you actually need. You need Jesus. You need God. With God as our theme of our conference. But, but we Christians believe that the fullest manifestation and access to God is Jesus So you need Jesus, you need his presence, you need his power, you need his love. He is the source of all true transformation and salvation. Renewal takes place as we venture down into the depths of the source of renewal, namely Jesus. So, how do you get Jesus? How are you with Jesus? The spiritual disciplines. And that is what Jesus is trying to say in the passage. If religious activities are means of self-improvement, if they are the way you commend yourself to God and earn for yourself a reward, then they are right to ask Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? If anything, they should be fasting before they want, before the one they think is the Messiah to prove to this Messiah how devoted and worthy they are. And yet Jesus, if He is the sole purpose of all these things, if they are meant to be a guide into communion with Jesus, then there's no need for fasting when they're with Jesus. A little thought experiment for you, maybe to get it out of theory. Suppose Jesus were to spend the night with you tonight. Spend the night in your house tonight. What would you do in the morning? You know what I think you'd do? I think you'd set your alarm really early. Can't sleep in with Jesus. You'd set your alarm really early, get up before Jesus... You would make sure to be sitting in a chair, Bible in your lap, journal out, <laughs> praying. Jesus wakes up, walks in. Oh, good morning, Jesus. I'm just spending time in your word. <laughs> Do you know how counterproductive that would be? Do you know how silly that would be? Just wake up and be with Jesus. Don't pray, talk to him. Don't read your Bible, listen to him. These are all just means to facilitate communion with Jesus. But if Jesus is there with you, then you have the point of the disciplines. And that's his point in the text. Fasting is about creating longing for me. I'm here. They have me. Why would you fast if it's all about me? So, we redefine Christian practices as means to be with God and God with us. This is your avenue into what you desperately need. Now, let's take that redefinition and apply it, practically, and then we'll spend the rest of the week doing that much more. So, we've redefined it, now let's reapply. This distinction I'm making is very important for the Christian to understand. This is not just a Pharisee problem in the text. This is not a problem with just other religions. In fact, if you find yourself struggling, burned out, cynical, I'm just tired of reading my Bible and praying and going to church and whatever practice it may be, if that's you, then I'm willing to bet you aren't viewing these things like Jesus does in our text. Our failures with the Christian disciplines may not be a lack of willpower in your life. It may not be the fact that I'm just not a disciplined person. It may be you have completely misunderstood and mishandled the disciplines. It is very easy for Christians to pervert Christian practices away from their meaning, the meaning that Jesus gave them, and treat them like every other religion treats them. Notice something interesting in the text. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, And people came and said to them, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Now, the Pharisees and their disciples were people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't see him as their savior. They didn't follow him for his salvation. They trusted in themselves and their religious practices like fasting. So that's easy to understand. But what's interesting about the passage is it says John and his disciples are struggling with it too. Now, these are ones who have been convinced, according to John, direct quote, you, Jesus, are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. But they, too, are fasting and can't understand why Jesus' disciples were not. The point is that it's not just a Pharisee problem but a problem for followers of Jesus as well. A problem for those of us who have been convinced Christians have a tendency to turn Christianity and its practices into something that resembles other religions. But the problem is that in so doing, we devastate the disciplines. These sweet, precious pathways into communion with God become burdensome, duty-bound, Guilt ridden, and we just don't enjoy them much, or perhaps we even grow to despise them altogether and give up. If you fall into the trap, That I have to do these things in order to prove to myself, prove to others, or prove to God that I am a genuine Christian, if these things become the measuring of my good standing, if they, like other religions, become the benchmarks of devotion, well, then you have altered them from their intended purposes, and eventually you will hate them. This is what happens. I play it out. They're not joyful pursuits that I get to do to be with my God. They are religious burdens I must keep. Well, this inevitably steals your joy and depletes your motivation to practice them. And eventually, you just don't do them because you get paralyzed. You get really tired of being religious because, quite frankly, religion is exhausting. Well, this crushes your conscience because you're thinking these are the litmus tests of true Christianity. This is what good Christians do. So you feel insecure, condemned, guilty, and so forth. So then you re-up your game, and you try to convince yourself that you're for real. Well, how do you do that? Well, real Christians do these things. i got to get back to doing these things. And so you try them, and you fail. Fail again. And you try to appease that guilt by giving it another try. And on and on, the cycle of religious failure goes. And unfortunately, the sweet practices of communion with God become the victims of your religion. If you have to do them, you will inevitably hate them. And I know this from my own personal experience. Well, the way out is to recapture a Jesus vision of the disciplines. And it's this. You don't have to do them. Is that threatening to your Christianity? I'm starting a conference on the spiritual disciplines by telling you, you don't have to do the spiritual disciplines. Is that threatening to you? in the way you conceptualize Christianity? You don't have to read the Bible. You don't have to pray. It's not going to change your eternal standing one bit. God will not love you any less, and he will not love you any more if you do. Does talk like that scare you? Because it's true. You don't have to perform. So, that's it don't read my Bible, don't pray, just forget all these Christian practices. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. I said you don't have to do them. But I would highly suggest you do them. Why? Because Jesus is waiting for you in them. You get to be with God there. Look at verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Fasting begins when Jesus leaves. It is true that Jesus does not view spiritual disciplines as the way to clean yourself up and earn God's favor. They are not necessary for salvation, but it is not true that they are unimportant, quite the contrary. I cannot overemphasize just how important these disciplines are because Jesus is waiting for you in them. He has ordained means. For us to literally be with our God. You don't have to read your Bible to get to heaven. You do need to read your Bible to be with Jesus. You don't have to pray to go to heaven. You do have to pray to get with Jesus. You don't have to do more Christianity activities and go to church and all this stuff to get to heaven. Because all you need to get, get to heaven has already been done. But you do have to make use of these practices to experience more Jesus who did it all on your behalf. And that was the whole point. When the, when the disciplines cease to be your effort to do what Jesus alone can do and begin to be your effort to experience the Jesus who has done it, then they take on a whole new meaning. Can I say that one again? When the disciplines cease to be your effort to do what Jesus alone can do and begin, and begin to be your effort to experience the Jesus who has done it, they take on a whole new meaning. The motivation is no longer religious duty but love. Do you love Jesus? Do you desire him? Do you want to use the language of our conference? Do you want to be with him? Yes, we do. Questions like these become the fuel for the disciplines. What needs to be rekindled is not your religious fervor and discipline. What needs to be rekindled is affection for the Savior. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chooses a wedding as his parable? He chooses a bride and a bridegroom to illustrate the way he views religious practices, which means he places the disciplines within the context of passionate love. Like Will already said, our Scotland partners are here and Macklin's here. Actually, Macklin, Andy, Alex, Neil, all y'all stand up. Just, this has nothing to do with my sermon. Stand up real quick. Um, so, so Macklin is our t- partner in Togo, Andy is uh, our partner in Scotland, and Andy has brought um, his brother, who's an elder at the church, and Alex, is an intern at the church, and um, they're going to be here at the conference all week. If you're part of TCPC, they'd love to meet you. Just just shake their hands, say hi, make them feel welcome and love. We love them. They're in town. Okay, now you can sit down, and now I'm going to pick on you alone, Andy, okay? Um, so Andy's in town. He's in town for a week. He left behind his lovely bride, Marina. And his new baby boy, Theo. Now, he's glad to be here. He loves visiting us. He's having a great time. But I've been around in the past few days, and he is sick. Heart sick. This man is whipped. (laughs) Owned by his wife and his baby son. And do you know how I know that? His cell phone. He's texting. He's calling. He's FaceTiming. He's whatever else they do, ing. My man can't put his phone down. Now, if he were to come over here and not contact Marina one time, does that mean he's not married? No, he's married, period. He doesn't have to reach out to her to earn her love. But because he is in love, he's wearing that phone out. Why? Why? Because it is the means for him in this distant way to be with his wife and child while he is away. You really think he's going to neglect that? He's in love. Of course not. First thing he does in the morning, check the phone. Last thing he does at night, check the phone. Any free break during the day, check the phone. Reach out. Why? Because He's in love, and it's the means for him to be with the ones he loves. And let me tell you, if I noticed that he was over here and not making use of the means of grace cell phone, roll with it, not making use of that phone, not checking in with Marina, not texting, not calling, if he wasn't using that phone, I would not ask, are you and Marina still married? I would ask... How are things with you and Marina? Because that's showing me something. Because lovers want to be together. And they want to take any means possible to be together. This is how Jesus views the disciplines. It is the way for the bride of Christ to experience the bridegroom while he is away. You don't have to do them to be married to Jesus. You get to do them to fellowship with the love of your life. And this way... And in this way, the disciplines of the faith are not means of obtaining love. They are means for lovers to connect. This is why I'm very happy with where Dr. Doriani is going this week. We talked about it. And there's two ways you can do a conference like this. One, you could just do, you know, a a ton of practical stuff on how to read your Bible, how to pray, and all that stuff. And we're going to do that. That's what the seminars are for. So make sure you're a part of the seminars. That's our part to be practical. But he, as he prayed and thought through it, he felt led to take us to Romans and just show us what does it mean to be with God? It means to be with Jesus. What does it mean to be with Jesus? It means to be united to Christ. And he is just going to take God's word and show us how amazing Jesus is. How amazing the doctrine of union with Christ is. So that you're in love with Jesus. And then we'll talk to you about how to do it well. The day will come when we don't need them anymore. We will be with Jesus and we won't need him if Andy got home here next Tuesday and was reunited to Marina it would be ridiculous to say hey let's hang out you get on your phone I'll get on my phone we'll FaceTime (laughs) go to the other room we'll text a little bit that would be silly and that's what Jesus is saying about fasting here what are you talking about fasting I'm here The whole purpose of fasting and Bible and prayer and fellowship and all of these things is Jesus. The day will come when we will have the love of our life. On that day, the disciplines will cease. We won't need to pray. We will talk to Jesus. We won't need to read our Bibles. We will just listen to the very word of God. But we aren't there. The love of our life is not here with us. But that doesn't mean we can't connect with him. We can't experience him in profound ways. He is waiting for you in the God-ordained means of fellowship. I suppose you don't have to make use of them, but lovers don't think that way. Your love is there if you would like to be with him. Let's spend the next few days learning how to do that. Let me pray. So, Lord, rekindle in our hearts a love for you. Rekindle in our hearts a passion for our Savior. Help us to reimagine this next few days. These things we all know we're supposed to be doing. We all know are important. But help us understand why. The question why. They are not religious burdens. They are means to be with our love. And so we need to love you to make use of them. So rekindle in our hearts a love for Christ and then show us this week how we can be with you, which is to be with God through the means of grace. Here tonight, we dedicate the entire conference to you and ask that you would pour out your blessing on this gathering. In Jesus' name, amen.